Have you ever been found asleep on the job? My grandfather, before he passed away, used to tell us that he learned to drink coffee in the Navy because at times he would be put on watch at night during war and he would be told, if you are found sleeping while you are on watch, you'll be shot on the spot. So he learned to drink coffee. Is that something down here? That might help some. What do you think about people falling asleep at work? Have you ever yourself fallen asleep at work, either on accident or even on purpose? Here's what we find in the book of Revelation. Jesus is walking among the lampstands of God. The lampstands being an article of worship in the temple of God. And Jesus, like a gardener, is going from lampstand to lampstand to lampstand, tending worship like a gardener tends his garden. What we find this means is that Jesus is going from church to church to church, tending worship like a gardener in the garden. And Jesus comes to the lampstand to the church of Ephesus and finds that Though they have done some works for him, they have lost their first love. Jesus comes to the church in Smyrna and finds they are in danger. They are in temptation to give in because of persecution. Jesus comes to the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira and finds that their worship is tainted because they have begun to allow in false doctrine and false teaching into the church. And then Jesus comes to the church in Sardis and finds them fast asleep. What does Jesus find when he comes to Sardis? A sleepy church. Friends, what does Jesus find when he looks at Millwood Baptist Church? Ultimately, that's what these letters mean for us. These are ways to apply to us the faithfulness that Jesus is teaching up against temptations that we will face as a church. These letters are written to churches in Asia during the time of John the Baptist, but they are for us to inspect ourselves. When Jesus fixes his eyes on Millwood Baptist Church, does he find us dozing off, asleep on the job? Let's pray. Father, would you help us today to hear your word as what it really is, the word from you, not the word of man, We trust, Father, that your word is working in those who believe to bring about faith, to strengthen what is weak, to encourage what is discouraged, to help us repent from sin. We ask, God, that you would use your word to give us clarity about ourselves and about you, that we might walk in faith, that we might walk in obedience. 
In all the ways we need to be encouraged, would you encourage us, lift us up, strengthen us? In all the ways we need to be convicted in order to repent, would you help us see that in our individual lives and as a church? We love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Jesus, Jesus comes to the church in Sardis and finds that they are asleep. What does it mean to be asleep in this passage? We see several terms used for the state of Sardis in this chapter. He, Jesus refers to the church as dead. He calls them to wake up, referring to them as those who are asleep. He speaks about those who have soiled their garments. All of these really speaking to one thing. The state of the church being inactive spiritually. The state of the church being spiritually left in bed in the morning still asleep. Jesus goes so far as to say you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. It's startling. Jesus wants the church to hear how far they have gone. And so he speaks to them in terms of death. You have a reputation of being alive, but before you pat yourself on the back, let me say you are actually dead. Before you start thinking, well, I'm so glad Jesus knows our reputation as a church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. I want to be careful what this means is not that the church has a bad reputation. Look at chapter 3, verse 1, part B there. Jesus says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive. Church, we have to be careful. You can be asleep as a church, as a Christian, and have a really good reputation. Maybe your church has a killer website. Maybe your church has a great reputation among other churches in your city for something in particular. You know this church, this church is really good at fill in the blank. Evangelism, welcoming guests, they're good at things. This church has the best food. I actually think ours might, might have that. Having a good reputation, however, does not mean that you are alive. You're being faithful. And it doesn't mean that you have no works, that there's nothing good that you've done. Revelation chapter 3, verse 2, Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The idea here is that you have started something, but it is incomplete. You fell asleep on the job. It's a half-built house. It's a road not built all the way there. You began to fill something, but it's not filled. You got to the gas station, said fill her up, but they only gave you a quarter tank. It's incomplete. This is a church has fallen asleep on the job, much like Jesus when he went into the Garden of Gethsemane. He went in to pray more fervently, and his disciples fell asleep. How can this happen to a church? It seems that in Sardis, the church began to believe their own press. They began to believe and rest in their own reputation, and so they fell asleep on what God had for them. The church had some works. The church had some obedience. The church was alive, but they got prideful about doing a few things well. What's that look like in a church? You can have some works, 
or maybe even some past works, but be asleep. A church can be sung to sleep by the lullaby of her own works. We can section those things off. Well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing all these bad things, so I'm doing all these few good things. You know, I did a kind thing to a stranger, so I'm not totally asleep. I had a season there where I was really active, but now, you know, I'm just kind of taking a break. I stick around. I stick to these kind of little things of obedience. But when it comes to very costly things of obedience, I ignore those. I kind of keep the church and my relationship with the church, my participation with the church, my fellowship with the church in a very small circle of my life. Because I have this much, I have this that's good, but an incomplete service and faith to the Lord. What that might mean is that you are actually asleep. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. Satisfied with a few good works, satisfied with a reputation, rather than being zealous to complete every work God has for you to do in your life. You go from asking what you can do for the Lord. I'm your servant. I will do whatever you please, Lord, to just doing enough to pass as faithful. Just doing enough to be hopefully left alone. Just enough to look Christian to Christian people. Just enough to have a, a name, a reputation. Jesus is saying to the church, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Maybe you're eager to look good, but inside you are very, actually sleepy. Asleep about what we know we ought to do. Asleep to what Jesus is calling you to do. Asleep to what you were recreated to do. Consider that a church is really no more awake than its corporate prayer meeting. A church is really no more awake than it shares the gospel with lost people. We're no more awake than we are gathering and boasting about the gospel in corporate singing. We're not more awake than we are in personal devotion to God's word and prayer. We're not more awake than we are loving our brothers and sisters with our lives. Are you awake? Or you just have a reputation for being awake? Friends, let me encourage you to ask God to search your heart. Take the posture of pause, prayer, and introspection this morning. It's extremely dangerous and deceitful to boast and enjoy your personal reputation or your church's reputation for being good at a few things. I'm a giver. He's a giver. You know, he's really a server. Every time the doors are open, she's there doing something. He's always ready to do this. Be careful with your own reputation. 
Think with David from Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is one of the most helpful, practical psalms when it comes to introspection in my life. What's going on inside me? David prays a prayer when he thinks he's right. Listen, most of the time when we think we're right, we don't pray. We don't ask God to search our hearts. We tend to pray when we're doubting or when we're in pain or when we're in loss, which we ought to. But in Psalm 139, David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and you know when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, just, you search out my path, my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is spoken on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. And David spends most of the rest of the psalm saying, God, you know me better than I know myself. You knew me when I wake up, you, you know me when I was, before I was born in the womb, you knew me. You know me better than I know me. And so he confesses in some of the last few verses, this is my relationship with those who hate you. I really am not being in party with them. I'm not joining in worship of idols. But David reserves God as the final judge for what's going on in his life. Psalm 139, verse 23, verse 24, you know this passage perhaps. Search me, O God. And know my heart, and try me, and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. God, you know me better than myself. If there is something grievous in me, you tell me. And oh, how desperate every church should be to pray this prayer, because we are tempted to believe our own reputation. We're tempted to think that we are right that I'm right, that I'm more righteous. We are so prone to trust our own righteousness and think that those people over there in that chair, in that pew, in that house are the real problem in the church. Pretty much every counseling session that comes into my office between two people has to begin with some sort of, you have to admit that it's not all their fault. 90% of the time, that's half the question. Are you just going to blame them for everything and trust your own reputation about yourself? Or will you search your own heart for any wrongdoing in your own life? You might feel too afraid. You might feel too weak to do it. What if you, what if we simply prayed as a church to God today, God, show me if I have a reputation, but I'm actually asleep. Show me if I think that I'm right, but I'm actually not. If I think that I'm healthy, but I'm actually sick, you know me better than me. So if I'm asleep, wake me up. Give me clarity about myself. Help me see if it's me that needs to repent of sleepiness in my works and my life and my faith towards you. Help me see if it's my works that are incomplete before you. Friends, God has saved us for good works. God has saved us for the purpose of a 
lifelong service and devotion to him. From salvation forward, God has recreated us for good works in him. This is the passage that Linda read for us this morning. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved for work, for works. There is nothing in me or you or the sweetest person you know that can earn forgiveness and salvation and righteousness before God. None of us. Romans 3 says we've all sinned. There are none who are righteous. There are none who do good. There are none who seek God. On our own, we are dead in our own sins. But what Linda read for us this morning from Ephesians 2 is that while we were dead in our trespasses, He has made us alive with Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of your own works, so that you may not boast. The only way that we can be saved from our sin and saved from death is Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. His blood being shed for our sins. His resurrection being life transferred to us by our faith in Him. That's the only way anyone can be saved, by praying to God today, thanking Jesus, trusting Jesus for forgiveness of sins. No one's works saves anyone except Jesus' works for us. But we are saved for good works. Too often as children and adults, we memorize Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, and we forget Ephesians 2, 10. Listen to Ephesians 2.10. Right after Paul tells us we're saved by grace through faith, he says in Ephesians 2.10.4, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That word created being just like creation itself in Genesis 1. Created in Jesus Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved for good works, created for a purpose. Are you asleep on the side of the road in the shade of your own reputation? Or are you doing what Jesus saved you for, which is walking with him in good works? Dead to sin. Alive to righteousness. There are some serious dangers that come to those who are asleep, who have a reputation but are dead. The first danger is that we have a Savior, Christ a King, who holds the stars. And the spirits. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, the first sentence there to the church in Sardis. To the angel of the church in Sardis, write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. The purpose of the introduction to each of the seven letters in Revelation in chapters 2 and 3 is to bring that vision of Jesus from chapter 1. 
the one with the eyes aflame, the feet burnished like bronze, the one with the sword coming out of his mouth, the one in the golden robe, that one who holds the seven stars in his hands, the one who walks among the seven lampstands, the one who has the seven spirits of God, brings that to bear, that vision of Christ to bear on every church individually. And to the church in Sardis, it's the words of him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars. Those seven stars, we learn in chapter 1, are the angels to the churches. Those seven spirits, we learned, are the perfect, complete, omniscient spirit of God. You can fake reputation to people. You can have a reputation among men, and they might make you members of their churches. But Jesus holds in his hands the seven angels and the seven spirits. They are not just hired hands. They come from the hand of Jesus Christ. When Jesus sees the church asleep in Sardis, he is not tricked by their reputation. He is seeing by the spirits and communicating with his messengers his perfect knowledge. Jesus sees what others cannot. You may look alive to others, but Jesus knows. The danger of having a reputation but being asleep is first that Jesus sees past your reputation. Secondly, there's a danger that you believe your own reputation when you're actually asleep. Chapter 3, verse 1, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead, deluded by their own state, believing their own reputation as a healthy church and ignoring the fact that they're actually dead spiritually. Listen, it's one thing to be well and know that you are well. It's one thing to be sick and know that you are sick. But what is the worst case scenario? To be sick and think that you are well. Jesus is cutting through any boasting, self-inflated report about themselves to see and to say what's actually the case. And that verse is meant to have cutting piercing power. You have the reputation of being alive. Isn't that great, guys? We've got, we've got the reputation of being alive. Just look at our website. But then Jesus continues, but you are dead. Don't believe your own press report. Don't believe your own reputation. Don't believe your own health report. Look into Jesus. Look into God's word. Go to God in prayer. Ask God to search you. It's dangerous to believe and to trust in your own reputation. Number three. Revelation chapter three, verse three. This third danger is the sudden arrival and judgment of Jesus Christ. The sudden arrival and judgment of Jesus Christ. Chapter 3, verse 3. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. 
We have a reminder of what this is like in the city of Sardis itself. The city was, have, was believed for some time to be impregnable because of its high cliffs and walls. But twice the city was taken. It's believed in the night, 547 B.C. by Cyrus and then by Antiochus III in 214 B.C. Why stay awake when your city has the reputation that it's impenetrable, it's undefeatable? This is reminiscent of how Jesus talked to his disciples in Matthew chapter 24. You can turn there with me. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 51. Matthew 24, verses 36 through 51 puts you on page 832, 33 in your house Bibles. Upon looking forward and teaching about his second coming to the disciples, they asked Jesus, when will these things happen? Beginning of chapter 24, verse 3. And what will be the sign that these things are about to happen? What will be the sign of your coming in the end of the age? When and how will we know? In answering the question in regards to the timing, Jesus talks about his second coming to his disciples in this way. Matthew chapter 24, verse 36 to 51 and we're going to see here, as in our passage, the timing and the judgment connected. Matthew 24, verse 36 through 51, Jesus said to his followers, But concerning that day when he will come and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving into marriage. Until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in a field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour which you do not expect. Verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give him their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed, and he begins to beat his fellow servants. And he eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of the servant will come on a day when he does not expect him. And at an hour he does not know. And will cut him in pieces. And put him with the hypocrites. Might we say those who have a reputation of being alive one face, but are dead. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing 
of teeth. We don't know when Jesus will return. Don't be lulled to sleep and either thinking that he isn't coming or that he will not come back very soon. If you live that way, if you think that way, Jesus will come to you like a thief sneaks into a house while you are asleep and you never notice. And the arrival of Jesus for those asleep, those who have a reputation but are asleep, the sudden arrival of Jesus will not be a beautiful reunion between long-lost friends. Jesus says in verse 3, If you will not wake up, Revelation chapter 3, if you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will know that I will come against you. Not for you, not with you, against you. Like in Matthew 24, it will not be pretty if Jesus returns and finds those who claim his name to be asleep. That is, asleep to God, but awake to the pleasures of the world. That's what it meant by those who eat and spend time with drunkards. Not that Jesus does not spend time with the worst sinners in the world but that you are giving your life to drunkenness, aloof to what's actually going on and to when the master might return. Asleep to God, awake to the pleasures of the world. Asleep to righteousness, but awake to sin. Asleep to obedience to Jesus, awake to obedience to the culture. In that case, to be found asleep by Jesus, by the master's sudden arrival, simply becomes proof that you're not the master's servant after all. And you'll receive immediate judgment. To be asleep is to be found as not being a servant of Christ, not a follower. Number four, Revelation 3, 5, your name will not be in the book of life. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. And I will never, never blot out his name of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, the heavenly witnesses. The implication may not be as easy to see when you first glance at it in English, but the word for reputation shows up four times in this passage. It's in the word, maybe in your Bibles, as name. You have the name of someone who is a lie. That is in chapter 3, verse 1, I know your works. You have the anoma, the name of being alive. Chapter 3, verse 4. Then he says, there are still a few onamata. There are still a few names or individuals in Sardis who have not soiled their garments. Chapter 3, verse 5. The one who conquers, I will never blot out his anoma. 
his name out of the book of life. Chapter 3, verse 5, I will confess his anoma, his name before the Father. If you're found staying in the gospel, believing Jesus Christ crucified for your sin, resurrected from the grave for your eternal life, if you're found in service, awake to Jesus when he comes, then your name will not be blotted out from the book of life. It won't be taken out. Jesus will never remove it. Jesus will announce it. He'll confess it to the Father. He'll he'll say to God, this this onama, this name, this reputation is a true, serving, awake, enduring Christian. And he'll say it before the Father and before all the angels. He is with me. But the implication goes the other way as well. Drift off from the gospel. Drift off from serving Christ. Drift off from the works that you were created for. Drift off and whatever reputation, whatever name you thought you had, won't be in the book of life. It will be found that you are a Christian by name, by reputation only. Having your name on the church roll is not the same as having your name in the book of life. A reputation, a name, is one thing. But is your name in the book of life? Are you clinging to the gospel of Jesus Christ as your salvation, as your forgiveness, or have you begun to think your reputation as a good person is sufficient? Are you really trusting Christ, remembering the gospel, walking with Christ in enduring faithfulness? The question becomes, will your name be in the book of life or not? And finally, the last danger is that you would be found to have no garments of righteousness to wear to the wedding feast of Christ. Chapter 3, verse 4 and 5 in Revelation to Sardis, he says, We still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot out his name out of the book of life. How do we understand these garments? These robes, if you will, that we put on? Go with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 8. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 8, speaking of the wedding feast between the bride of Christ, that is the church, and Christ himself. Immediately following in chapter 18, the fall of Babylon, which we'll learn more about when we get there. Following the fall of Babylon is the rejoicing of the church and their union with Christ. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6 through 8. What do these garments mean? Here's a clue. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! 
For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. You know that moment in the wedding when everyone's ready? When the bride, dare we say, finally is ready? Has everything done up, has the white dress on, dad's in place, the family's in place, the music has started and it's time for the bride to enter and meet her husband. Jesus says the bride has made herself ready. The church sings, excuse me, the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself, to get dressed with fine linen, bright and pure. And what is this dress? What is this garment? For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. The completed, enduring, faithful obedience of the church of Jesus Christ is her righteous wedding dress at the marriage supper of the Lamb. But Jesus comes to the church in Sardis and says, <coughs> I found that your works are not complete. It's just half a dress. The robe that we will wear when we meet Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb is the righteous deeds of the saints. The whole bride of Christ will be dressed in her love, in her sharing, in her forgiveness, in her humility, in her kindness, in her joy, in her peace. While the world is wearing what it wears, that will be what the bride of Christ will wear forever. Her care for the poor, her testimony to the world, she will be dressed in righteousness as opposed to the world. And see what Jesus says to the church in Sardis, chapter 3, verse 4 in Revelation. You have still a few names, Anoma and Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments. That is, people who have not forgotten the gospel. People who have not fallen asleep on matters of righteousness. People who are still giving, not giving into the world in temptation, but are walking with Christ. And I want you to go with me to Revelation chapter 22, verse 14. Some of the final thoughts in the book of Revelation. And see that these garments are a matter of life and death. It's not just a matter of, is your dress going to be pretty when you meet Jesus? It's a matter of life and death. You either have your robes washed, your dress washed, your righteousness righteous before Christ and life, or you will experience death. Revelation chapter 22, look at verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, this is Jesus speaking, so that they may have right to the tree of life and that they may enter into the city by the gates. Friends, how did we lose the right to the tree of life in the first place? Through sin. Sin in the garden meant that man could no longer eat of the tree of life. God removed Adam and Eve from the garden because of their sin, lest they eat from the tree of life, it says at the end of Genesis 3. Likewise, it means then that our robes, our spiritual attire, our spiritual wedding garments get filthy with sin. So because of that, we're cut off 
all of us, all men, from God in the garden in Genesis 3. Because of our sin, we deserve death. Because we've soiled our garments and are dirty in sin, we deserve death when God has designed us for life. Friends, how can we ever be made clean again? How can any of us stand in front of God and say, I'm clean, I don't have any sin? Well, it's it's impossible for us. The only way to get back to the tree of life is to wash our robes and to wash our robes in the blood of Jesus who gave his life on a tree for us. Our only way to truly be spotless is for the spotless lamb, the sinless man, God's son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, all my sin, all your sin. It's the only way that we can get cleansed from sin and take from the tree of life again is if we wash our robes clean, clean by the blood of Jesus that washes us white as even snow. Friends, that's the good news of the Bible. You can get your robes washed by the blood of Jesus. What that looks like is going to God today and confessing I've sinned, I I don't deserve my life, I've got breath that you gave me and flesh that you gave me today. I, I turn from my own ways, I turn from my sin, I follow, I trust Jesus Christ that he lived a perfect life, that he died for my sin on the tree, on the cross, that he rose from the grave, that I might have life too with my sins forgiven. You pray that today. You pray that right now. You pray that on the way home. You make that your faith right now, and your sin is washed. Sin is washed away. Your robes are washed. And since Jesus rose from the dead. His death cleanses our sin. His death, his resurrection from the dead gives us life. To trust Jesus Christ for his death means to also trust him for his life. To be united with Jesus' death means to be united with his life, his resurrection. And as we read at the beginning this morning, Romans chapter 6, that means that if we're trusting Christ, we ought to consider ourselves what we are, which is dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Recreated for good works. Not saved to have a reputation of doing some religious things, but truly alive, walking in righteous works which God prepared for us. That's what it means by those who have soiled their garments. They had a name by reputation, but they drifted into the sleep of the world's pleasures, drifted into the sleep of the world's belief, forsook the gospel of Christ as Savior and King. But these people, chapter 3, verse 4, are still a few, a few names who have not soiled their garments, and they walk with me in white. For they're worthy. These are those who have trusted Christ and they're not asleep. They trusted Jesus Christ and they're enduring faith, sometimes weak, sometimes falling into temptation, but enduringly trusting Jesus Christ with their whole lives, not gone back into total sin, not turn away from trusting in Jesus, not soiled. Their garments. These garments are a matter of life and death, both now and forever. It's a dangerous, dangerous place to be, to trust your own reputation, but truly be asleep.
What does Jesus call the church to do? He calls the church to wake up. Wake up. Like he spoke to the little girl who had died, Talitha. Wake up. Rise up. Keep a cautious, active watch. Don't fall asleep to the lullaby of your own reputation. Don't settle for a reputation. We have a good reputation among churches as a church. Praise God. But so what? We could have a bad reputation. In fact, I think our church has a bad reputation to some churches in Austin. But we could actually be faithful. Be cautious that we don't start to believe our own poop doesn't stink. That what we do is fine. Our own reputation. Wake up. Be cautious of pride about yourself. Be vigilant to trust the gospel alone. Jesus says, strengthen what remains. The word for strengthen here means to stabilize, to firmly fix. Like you would strengthen a, a table or a building and make it firm again. I don't know if you're one of those people, but if you go with me to a restaurant and the table is wobbly, I'll get awkward. I don't mind folding a napkin or a cup holder or my keys or whatever it takes to make the table level for dinner. Right? I don't want to play seesaw with my plate the whole time. Jesus is saying, make it firm. Whatever's there in the church... Whatever few there are, whatever strength remains, whatever faith remains, whatever obedience remains, stabilize, fix it. Maybe you've got that old wooden fence in your backyard that if another good strong wind comes, that's just going to be it. Maybe your back porch roof is beginning to sag. We can see pictures of this all over our lives. Jesus is saying, strengthen what remains. Hold it up. Fix it up. Give it strength. Friends, any church may from time to time fall asleep, get weak, and need strengthening. We might get wobbly. We might get lazy. We might get downright unwilling to walk with Jesus. Strengthen what remains. Strengthen those who remain. Rebuild, even if it's just a few names. What does that look like? Chapter 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Remember then what you received and heard, two, keep it, and three, repent. Remember and keep the gospel. Listen, church, forgetfulness and sleepiness in a church go hand in hand. As your forgetfulness increases, so will your sleepiness about spiritual things. Call to mind the gospel. That's what it means to remember. Bring the gospel to your brain this word can mean remember, it can mean think or feel for a person again. Friends, to strengthen our church, we don't need to work on our reputation. We don't need to get busy doing more things for God. We must remember what we have received, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember what we heard. Remember the word from God. There's no strengthening of a church apart from the gospel and the word of Jesus Christ and the spirit of God. There is a direct correlation between the strength of a church and a church 
or Christian's remembrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for us. If you want to go to the gym and you want to get strong, you go take protein shakes and you drink them by the gallon and you lift weights and you get more muscle. You want to strengthen the church, drink the gospel. Mix up the gospel, not in the sense that we mix it up, but get it, serve it everywhere we go. Our children's ministry is a gospel ministry. Our youth ministry is a gospel. Our life groups is a gospel remembering ministry. Our one-on-one discipleship is not get there, have coffee, and gab about life. It's a gospel-remembering ministry, or it will die, or it will fall asleep. And Jesus calls us to repent. Repent. The alarm is going off. It's 6 o'clock in the morning. It's a work day. What starts to happen in your brain? In that moment, do I get up, shower, get dressed, and go to work, or do I do what I might want to do, which is just hit the snooze button? Jesus has come, the alarm has been set, he is waking up his bride. What will the bride do? This word repent is metanoel. It means to change your mind. Change your mind. Jesus is calling us. He's calling you to get in the local church, get in there and make disciples by reminding and remembering and keeping the gospel. Get up and join a life group now. Return to your personal devotion today. Wake up and decide to renew a relationship that is in discord. Wake up and go to your church asking where you can serve. Open your eyes. Call someone the Spirit has been leading you to check in on. Do not make your church members or your pastor chase you around to talk to you. Come to them and ask, how can I serve? How are things going? This is an important moment in your mind. The moment where the alarm is going off, your flesh wants to hit snooze and just go back to sleep. Your whole body has already begun to make its familiar motion over to the nightstand and try to remember where the alarm is there so that you can hit the snooze button. And Jesus is saying to his bride, repent, change your mind, quit hitting snooze on serving me. Get up, get out of bed, and walk in the works that I saved you for. Don't go to sleep. Put this in your mind instead. Remember that Jesus did not go to sleep on us, but died on the cross for our sins. Remember that we were cut off from the tree of life, we were dead in our trespasses. Jesus rose from the grave that we might have life forevermore. Remember that if Jesus comes back and finds us asleep, that may mean that we were never really his servant at all. Remember that you are saved by grace 
created in Christ Jesus for good works, created to stay awake and to walk with Jesus Christ. Wake up, get up, keep the gospel together, walking with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise and we give you thanks for your word. We know that in every time your word is spoken, it may convict each of us individually in some different way. It may convict our whole church together in this way. Father, would you help us to be men, women, Christians who are awakened? We confess now, Father, that we're prone to sleepiness. In our own flesh, the part of us that's not been redeemed, we're prone to go back to sleep. We live in a world of temptation that wants us to hit snooze on you and to wake up to play. Go back to sleep spiritually. Father, would you protect us from this temptation? Father, we take a moment just now and confess there might be some sleepiness in our eyes and sleepiness in our souls. We don't want to hit snooze as a church. We don't want to be found asleep when you come back to look for your servants. Search our hearts, Father. Try us, test us. See if there is any sleepy way in us. Thank you for your kindness in Jesus Christ. Thank you that Jesus doesn't give up on sleepy churches but that he comes to awaken them, call them to repent, call them back to walking with him. Thank you, God, for this double kindness to save us and then be patient with us. Father, help us to to hear it. Help us to see it and walk in it. We love you, Father. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.